take up our Bibles again and let's turn to uh, two readings this evening. Uh, Exodus 20, once again, as we go back to the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 15. And we're also going to, that's on page 78 if you're using the Pew Bible. And Luke chapter 19 as well, which is on page 1053. So let's go to the Exodus 20 passage first. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Uh, Let the light of your truth indeed shine into our hearts tonight, unveiling our eyes to see not only ourselves and the extent of our sin, but to behold you and the extent of your love shown us in Jesus Christ. This we pray in his precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, Exodus 20, 15 is short and sweet. Uh, You shall not steal. And then over to Luke 19. An account of one, truly, who was a thief and changed. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He is going to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Amen. This is God's word. Well, questions. Why do you have a password on your email account? Or a pin for your bank card? Why do you not just park your car on the street and walk away from it without locking your door? Why do you not just leave the windows open? Off you go to bed for the night, sweet dreams. It's because we live in a world where we know that there are those who will steal from us. There are so many ways in which we are protective of our property. And even when you arrived at church tonight, in part, whatever, on George Street, on the square, whatever, you no doubt saw people get out of their car, then do what? They click twice, not just to lock it, but then to put the alarm on. Now, that's extra careful. 
And the insurance companies like that, I understand. We have our streets lined with chirping cars. Why? Because we are aware of the possibility that there are those who may break in and steal. And the point of such alarms is to protect our personal property. Now, unfortunately, stealing is not something that is practiced just by cunning and devious criminals. As we'll see from this picture, theft in reality is endemic to the human race. Isn't it? And all the parents said, amen, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, if we, we start to steal as soon as we crawl and as soon as we can grasp things. I've never tested this on babies, but I'm pretty sure they're coveting before they're even crawling. Such is the extent of our depravity. But, you know what happens. Babies, kiddies, see something, they go get it. It doesn't matter if it's in the hands of another child. You know, they will go over and get it. Sadly, that mindset doesn't seem to go away. It kind of comes down, boils down to, to some kind of materialism, I suppose. And materialism is certainly a curse for us. Why? Because when we value our possessions, instead of having just a right grasp of them, when we, in a sense, overvalue our possessions, we actually believe that life does consist in the abundance of possessions. And we think that getting makes life easier for us. But it's that kind of pursuit that leaves, really, if it grips us, it leaves every one of us open to the temptation to steal. So here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at what, what stealing is all about. Why does God include this? We remember in the context of Exodus, God has amazingly and wonderfully saved a people, plucked them out from some severe oppression, the darkest nights of their lives. They, in a sense, have been slaves. They've been beaten. They've been oppressed. Their, their numbers have been kept at a low through terrible, terrible practices on behalf of the Egyptians. God has heard their cry. God has sent Moses, the mediator, to, to go and declare his message, to be God's mouthpiece. And the people have been saved wonderfully through the waters. The enemy has been defeated. God has his people saying, you are now my treasured possession. Now here's how you should live. For the sake of the nations who are going to see who you are, and by seeing you see who I am, here's how you have to live. Why does God include do not steal as part of the Ten Commandments? Why is it number eight? And then what we're going to do is we're going to actually look at some of the ways in which we are uh, we sin by stealing. And then look at the offer of forgiveness and freedom that Jesus Christ himself offers us towards the end. So the first thing, what we're doing, why has God got this particular commandment in here saying do not steal? Well, I would boil it down to this. It's about dignifying God and it's about dignifying your neighbor. Okay, if you want, you can use the, the way the Bible puts it more, it's more about loving God and loving your neighbor. So firstly, when we steal from someone, I would suggest we do not dignify their God-given right to personal possession. 
Now, the Bible, the Bible dignifies personal property and even roots this dignity in the fact that we as human beings are made in the image of God. So, in, in other words, to steal from another is not merely to steal his possession. It is, in a sense, an assault on another person's dignity as a human being who has the right to the toil of their hands, to the produce of their talents, and to the property that is rightfully theirs. And this principle, I mean, across the board in humanity, really, is absolutely necessary for the functioning of a healthy society. I mean, even as I've mentioned, as God is preparing here, his people, Israel, to be a nation, he's stressing straight away that to steal from another is to destroy some kind of societal trust, which really is, is, is an absolute requisite for any society not to just implode or descend into anarchy. Without such trust, there can be no confidence that our neighbors are going to refrain from taking our stuff, robbing us not only of personal possessions and property, but as I say, robbing us indeed of our dignity. And God warns here that would-be thieves should respect the rights of property holders and quite simply says in those four words, Do not, uh, you shall not steal. Leave other people's stuff alone. And this is what we do. When we steal, of course, you take away their dignity. When we steal something from someone, we act in such a way that causes our neighbor loss. When we steal from someone, we are essentially saying to them, well, my benefit is of more significance to me than your harm or your loss. Essentially. We're saying, my having what is yours is more important than any regard that I have for you. And by stealing from someone, we essentially say to them, irrespective of the impact of my theft, on your life, I am too selfish to care. See how it gets to the heart. It comes down to the heart all the time. So when we steal from someone, we do not dignify their right, God-given right, to personal possession. But when we steal from someone, we do not dignify either God's sovereignty. I mean, when we steal from someone, we are essentially failing to trust God's sovereign care over us, declaring to him, really in a sense, that we believe we are the ones who are in control of our own future, of the things that we have. We essentially state in some sense a prideful arrogance that says, well, I've got what I've got today because, hey, I've, I've used my skills. You know, I've spent my own energies on this. Look at what I have achieved, you know, and try and do the pat on the back. But stealing is essentially a denial of God's providential prerogative to give his possessions, because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, remember, 
Stealing is a denial of God's providential prerogative to give his possessions to whomever we want. So when we, in a sense, steal, we are declaring that we are displeased with what God has provided for us or allotted to us for this moment in time. We say, God, I don't have enough. I'm not content with what you have given me. It feels like loss. So I'm going to top up what you have given me by taking what you have given to someone else. Those are the things that we are doing. We are not dignifying God and we are not dignifying neighbor whenever we steal. This is why we have this eighth commandment. So, in what ways are we prone to stealing? What are the ways in which we can, can fail to dignify God and neighbor by taking something from someone, that which is not our own? Well, we can steal by overt theft. This commandment quite clearly just says, do not steal by overt theft. What, what I mean by overt theft, if we go into the next slide, burglary for a start. Breaking into a home that's not yours to take what's not yours. Well, that's an example of overt theft. Robbery. Taking something from someone directly, usually with a threat or actual force or violence. You're sitting, I can understand, you're sitting there probably, yeah, I'm okay with that one. I haven't broken into anyone's house in the last few weeks or so and, you know... I've not been threatening anyone with violence, really. But then there's larceny. Well, taking something from someone without returning it. Now you're all thinking about what's in your garage. <laughs> or what books you have that you have not returned. Borrowing that is never returned. That's theft. Oh, we're in trouble. Shoplifting. Pickpocketing. These are all examples of overt theft. And we understand this. This is definitely on the rise. 20% increase in this economic climate since in this most recent recession. And with the greatest rise in, in shoplifting and those forms of theft coming in, not from those who are unemployed, but from the working class, uh, the middle class, actually. Or what about in today's technological climate? We have organized criminal activity, which majors on the kind of theft where your identity can be stolen from a thousand miles away. It's incredible what people can do nowadays. Do not steal by overt theft. These are some of the ways in which we can steal. Become thieves. But do not steal by covert theft either. These are some of the ways that seem to go unnoticed. Some of the ways in which many people actually manage to get away with, or even at least get away with for lots of time. We think of fraud, that personal gain by deception, embezzlement, the appropriation of money or possessions entrusted to your care, but actually owned by someone else. You just start dipping your hand into the pot, taking a little bit here, there. Or we steal covertly from our employers and we take a little bit more on the expenses than we should. When we go home early, never making up the time, 
when we take longer for lunch, we can end up stealing from our employers. We can steal covertly from the government when we intentionally fiddle business books or fail to declare everything on our tax returns. We can find ourselves stealing covertly when we share files over the internet that are copyrighted and really should have been paid for. And just because everybody does it doesn't mean that we can get away with it. It doesn't mean you should do it, certainly. Now, these are some pretty clear examples for us of overt theft and and covert theft. But we actually find that it's easy sometimes to try and justify theft. So I'm just throwing that in as a third category, okay? That we try and justify some particular areas of theft. Along with these three examples, these uh, two examples of overt theft, covert theft, we, we need to consider that theft is not as co- categorical as we would first think. I think this is exemplified for us in the illustration of a teacher who once asked the children in our class, you know, if you found a wallet with, a, with 500 pounds in it, what would you do with it? And there were a few giggles and a few smiles in the class and so on. But one boy put his hand up and said, well, if it belonged to a poor family, I would return it. <laughs> ah, Well, the little boy's answer tells us that the answer to the question, is it wrong to steal, in the minds of people in our society is not quite as clear as we first think. This third category emerges for us. You know, there's a sometimes thrown in here. Is it wrong to steal? Well, sometimes. But sometimes it can be justified. That would be the encouragement of some in our society. But even in the case of this illustration, whether or not we think stealing is wrong seems to depend on how much we feel a victim will be hurt financially by the loss. Now, that's just illustrative of some kind of Robin Hood mindset where we try and qualify theft by trying to assign what we take. We assign and apportion some good to that, don't we? So the the, the bank makes an error in your favor. And no, I've not been playing Monopoly. You find an extra 20 pounds in your account. You might be, t- be tempted to think, oh, well, the Bank of Scotland has enough money. And anyway, they keep springing surprise charges on me for going into my overdraft, so this will just kind of even it out a bit. You know, I'm not speaking from experience here, I would, I would add. But people think this kind of thing all the time. I mean, one... People justify, you know, they look at corporations. They, they look at, the, at globally successful hotel chains, for example, and think, what's a bathrobe, you know, to this massive corporation? Have you seen the houses that these people have? You know, the cars that they drive, the jet that they get someone else to drive, you know, there, there could be some kind of justification of this. I mean, this is, this is a true story. One successful uh, hotel chain reported within the first year of operations that within th- this new cl- high-class hotel, they had to replace 38,000 spoons, 18,000 towels, and 100 Bibles. <laughs> it's 
Sometimes we try and justify theft in the name of some kind of economic justice and balancing the books, our own books, by our own, uh, our own view. But let's face it, any attempts to qualify or justify theft really doesn't mean that we aren't stealing. We are. If we're taking from someone that which does not belong to us, but truly belongs to them. So in any of these cases, whether we use force, stealth, or deception to gain money or possessions that belong to someone else, quite simply, we need to hear God say to us, you shall not steal. When we seek our advantage, even instead of a fair exchange, maybe in business, when we take anything that belongs to a neighbor, we need to hear the Lord speak to us through this eighth commandment saying, do not steal. And it's funny how the word thief usually conjures up in our minds the image of a criminal, maybe like the chap on screen earlier on in the sermon who was breaking into a car. But perhaps a better image would be the face that we see in the mirror every morning. As we all fall into this in some respect. Certainly what God's word shows me. The good news is that when we hold up this mirror of the law once more to see ourselves in this mirror, to see ourselves just as God sees us indeed with blemishes, not pure, deserving indeed of his punishment for our law breaking, we hear alongside that the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, the the very news that we rejoice in, the news that we have been singing about in our service, and the news that that we truly understand makes us alive and new, which points us to Christ on the cross of Calvary and see that it is his sacrifice and his death that washes our sins away, washes away those blemishes and gives us the right reflection. We need to understand indeed that, that though the desire of a thief is bound up in getting, well, for our God, his whole communication with us as a human race is bound up in us understanding his giving. And indeed, that's what he wants us to be. He wants us to be givers, not getters. And that to be reflective of his character. We know this. We see this. If you're here tonight, you're not a Christian. Let me tell you about this. In the book of John, Jesus from his own mouth says, God so loved the world that he gave. In other words, demonstrated the the extent of his generosity of heart by giving Something very, very valuable, very precious indeed. His one and only Son. Why? So that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that undeserved favor. We didn't deserve to have these blemishes washed away. But you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. And that, of course, in a spiritual sense. Romans chapter 8. He who did not spare, in other words, begrudge or even reluctantly give his own son, 
but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also freely give us all things? Great salvation, new life in him, the promise indeed of eternal life. Jesus' death on the cross just depicts for us, tells us of the magnitude of God's generous love, which assures us that in Christ he's going to give us everything we need, so you need not steal. You need not take for anything because God will give you exactly what you need, your daily bread, everything that you need for enough for today and for every other day that he grants you bread. Let's remember indeed that when Jesus was crucified, on his right and on his left were two thieves. The only difference is one was redeemed, the other not So in light of that sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, as I've said with each of these commandments I've preached on, we need to know that those who have broken the eighth commandment, to those people, God says, uh, I say God loves thieves. God sent his son to die for those who steal. Jesus, even now today, receives those who steal. So what should thieves do this uh, this evening? The answer is simple and the same day after day after day. Repent and turn to Jesus in faith and see the transformation that can come about in your life when you put your faith and trust in him. Go back with me to Luke chapter 19 and this account of Zacchaeus. Here is an example of one who repents and responds. He responds wonderfully. Zacchaeus was, of course, a chief tax collector. He was wealthy uh, because he had been stealing, in other words. And Jesus, making his way through the crowd, Zacchaeus is trying to get a glimpse of Jesus. But he is, of course, vertically challenged. So he climbs a tree. When Jesus reaches the spot where Zacchaeus is, Jesus says, I must stay at your house. The question that's on everyone's lip is this, why would Jesus go and stay with such a rotten man? I mean, hold the mirror up to this guy and see what the reflection's like. I'm sure he would even shrink back from what he sees. But verse 10 tells us, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Now that's important. It defines everything that's going on here. Zacchaeus is one who by accumulating wealth and getting for himself, even through theft, was lost, entirely lost. But Jesus came to seek him out and to save him, and indeed this is what he does with each of us. But this rotten man, Zacchaeus, blemish after blemish, face to face with Jesus, is clearly convicted of his sin, including his theft. I mean, he stands up and he says he's going to make amends. Now, the law required him to pay back double what he stole. But he says, I'm giving half of all of my possessions to the poor and will pay back four times as much as I have stolen. Now, that for us, friends, is just a wonderful picture of the transforming power of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That this wealthy man who essentially was a thief, was in one day so transformed that he went from being a thief 
to being a benefactor. That he went essentially from being selfish to being unselfish. He went from being a taker to being a giver. And it's wonderful. It's just a great picture of what is won for us through Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross. And I read a sermon by a chap called C.H. Spurgeon on this. I love reading Spurgeon. He says in this, he just addresses Zacchaeus in his sermon. That's very cool. Ah, Zacchaeus, you will go to bed tonight a great deal poorer in worldly terms than when you got up this morning, but infinitely richer in heavenly treasure. Will you go to bed tonight poorer in one sense, but richer in the other? this is the call of Jesus for each of us. In the Sermon on the Mount, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, Jesus says, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There your heart will be also. So you, my friend, you can go to bed tonight on the basis of this choice a great deal poorer in worldly terms than when you got up this morning, but infinitely richer in heavenly treasure. Will you confess your sin before him? And will you lay hold of this great cleansing salvation that Jesus Christ offers to us all tonight? I pray you will. Let's pray.